0: Okay, this evening we are at session number 19 in our series of studies, and uh, we have skipped a lot of chapters in between, two years have gone by since we did the last study or the events of the last study, and now we are in Numbers chapter 16, Numbers chapter 16. And in this particular chapter, we find that the leadership of Moses is questioned by some people and it is also affirmed by God. Now these are the problems of leadership. Sometimes a person may think, oh, I wish I was a leader, then I'm the boss. Leadership is not being the boss. Biblical leadership is being a servant and when you serve people. People who aspire to positions and power want to somehow pull you down you know, because they don't like to see you prospering or having another response from the people. So and that's what we learn in this particular chapter and how we should be careful that we do not allow the desire for leadership, the desire for power and leadership to get into our heads and somehow want to pull somebody else down so that we can get to that position. Moses, if you notice, was appointed by God and he made sure that he went to God when all these problems arose. So he was not really, really worried about it. So as an introduction to our study this evening, we find that right from the very beginning, right from the very beginning, when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt. These guys were a very rebellious bunch isn't it they were constantly murmuring and saying i don't have this i don't have that you know and now in this particular chapter we find that they have got into one more rebelling spree if we were to say against god and his leaders and this is the height of arrogance the height of arrogance is not just to attack moses and aaron but by attacking moses and aaron They are actually attacking God. They were envious of the leadership that God had given to them. And this is what happens when there is envy, jealousy, the the desire for power and position. We will find that people will do anything to get to that. It's like a cutthroat business. And that is what is happening even in our world today, isn't it? Even in our world today, there are people, whether it's in the political world or the religious world, who are aspiring for positions, and as a result, they are willing to do anything as long as they get that post, okay? So the distrust of those who are in charge is really a widespread phenomenon, and it is very easy to rouse such a distrust couple of examples if you were to think of. as long as uh, say India is winning uh, the uh, cricket match, the cricket series, people are all happy. As soon as you lose one match, what happens? People are upset with the captain. they say change the captain or they'll say change the coach okay Or even in the political world, there are people who want a position, so they'll switch any number of parties just to get that post. The concern is not to serve the people, The concern is to get a position. And that is what was happening in this particular chapter, in Numbers chapter 16. It was a revolt against the leadership in Israel and two distinct groups. The first group was made up of Korah and the Levites. Korah and the Levites, that was the first group. The second group was made made up of Dethan, and Abiram, who were Reubenites. And these two groups together brought in 250 chiefs of the whole community. Think for a moment. This small group of people were able to muster 250 people who would follow them and said, hey, we are going to revolt. And that's what we see, isn't it? One guy will have the aspiration pulls up two more people and then they get the whole group or the majority of the group or a large number of people and say, hey, we will go against the leader. And there are people who are willing to follow such leaders. So let's look at first of all, the envy, the leadership envy that they had, which started off with a conspiracy, started off with a conspiracy. And the leaders of the conspiracy we find in verse 1 of chapter 16. It was Korah, the son of Ilar, the son of Kohath, son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, sons of Iliab, and the son of Pelath, sons of Reuben. Both of these groups were the ones who were involved in the conspiracy. And it is interesting that both the Reubenites and the Kohathites were individuals who were staying side by side, you know, on the south side of the tabernacle. They were close to the tent, they were close to the tabernacle, and even though they had got that good position to be near the tabernacle, they were still upset. They wanted the position, okay? And this is something we must recognize, people who are dissatisfied with what they have, no matter how much they have, they will still remain dissatisfied. If you notice, you know, the uh, individual's uh, Korah came from the group called the Kohathites, who was from the Levites, okay? Now, these individuals were the first to be counted, and you have Reubenites, they were the ones who were doing the counting, so they had, uh, if you were to say, important responsibilities. It is not that they were not given responsibilities. They were Levite community, which was a set-apart community. Reubenites were used to gather all the people together. So so far, they have got some good responsibilities, but they're not satisfied with that. They still want a position. They say, we want to be like Moses, we want to be like Aaron. Why should only Aaron be the high priest? Why can't we also do it? And this murmuring among themselves aspiring for power and position, you find, also led to others joining in. So the leaders of the conspiracy were these guys, and the others who joined in was 250 people. That's what we learn in verse 2. Now, what was the complaint that they had? The complaint that they had is mentioned in verse 3. It says, And they assembled together against Moses and Aaron. And said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now, what were they meaning when they said, You have gone far enough? What they were really saying is, You consider yourself only holy. Are we not also holy? We notice in the previous chapters, the Levites and were also had that robe, you know, which you know, had tassels on their garments to demonstrate that the nation of Israel was called to be holy. We you notice know, the Jews even today will have what is called as the prayer shawl, which they would wear around their you know, head, which had tassels below. Now, in the New Testament times, you know, the Pharisees especially went around showing this off to people to show how holy they were because they were praying so much. Here, what these guys were saying is, in what way are are we different from you guys? You also wear the Prashal. We also wear the Prashal. Only you consider yourself holy. Only you have been appointed by God. You are just the same like us. That was their complaint. That was their complaint. And by so doing, what they were really saying is that, you know, we are all sacred before God. Nobody can be... set separately as it were. Now Reuben's case was a little different because Reubenites had a privileged place in the Israelite community, yet even though he was the firstborn of Jacob's sons, his firstborn portion was taken away from him because of his sins. And as a result, he was upset. So if the Kohathites were individuals who said, hey, look, we are all the same, you know, they were able to join the Rubenites together, who felt that they had missed out on what uh, what they were entitled to. And that's what happens, isn't it? One dissatisfied guy picks up another guy who is dissatisfied in some other area. And soon what happened was they were able to get 250 dissatisfied people together. To form this conspiracy. So they all asserted this fact that and this thought that Moses and Aaron were self appointed rather than divinely appointed. So, what they were saying basically in simple language is, Who do you think you are? You think you're a leader? Aren't we all leaders? Hasn't God all called us? That is the arrogance that they had, even though, if you notice, God was the one who called Moses, isn't it? He didn't call these people. He called Moses, and he says, "You are my leader." And he gave Aaron to him as his spokesperson. Now, what was uh, Moses's response to this uh, uh, conspiracy? And I wonder if you were in his shoes, how would you have responded? Remember, you have gone through hardships. Now it's around two years' time since they have come out of you know, Egypt. You, know, you have taken them through that. You know, uh Red Sea experience, you' taking them through all their murmurings and grumblings and seeing how God has answered their uh, the prayer and brought water for them, quail for them, meat for them, manna for them. You've seen all that, but in spite of all that you have done for two years, these guys are all dissatisfied, and they want your position now. you know leadership is not an easy position to be in. people normally think. Hey, this guy's on the top. He's having a very easy life. I want that easy life. But no, it is not an easy life. But how did Moses respond? Verse 4 tells us the key thought. And the lesson that we can also learn from that is how we should respond to this situation. So there's a leadership envy, first of all. Then we have the leadership confrontation. How does Moses, as a leader, confront? This conspiracy. Remember, he does not put it under the you know, carpet, and he says it's not there. There are some people who do that, you know. you know. Do not even observe that there is a conspiracy. Let it go by, and then you know it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger till they do not know what to do. But how did Moses respond to it? Verse four tells us: When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. When Moses here heard this. He fell on his face. The natural response could have been to stand up and say, Who do you think you are? You are complaining and saying, you know, who am I? Who are you? I'm the one who has given you all these benefits, and now you're turning the tables against me. You could have got angry and upset. But what does Moses do? Moses falls on his face and speaks to God. Instead of defending himself, he casts himself on his face before his God. And that's an important truth. The world will be upset. The world will say all sorts of things. The world will go against you. But instead of you trying to fight for yourself and saying, I will show that person, you bring it to God. You bring it to God. Fall on your face, prostrate before God. And then when you do that, then God gives you the answer of what you need to do. No longer is your emotions in control. Now you get an answer from God. When he uh, rises up from his uh, meeting with God, he speaks to Korah. In verse five, we read this, and he spoke to Korah and all his people, saying, "Tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is His and who is holy, and will bring him near to Himself. Even the one whom He will choose, He will bring near to." himself. So he says, look here, I'm not going to give you the answer, the Lord himself will give you the answer. You are saying, who appointed you in this position? God appointed me, so I'm not responsible to give you an answer, God himself will give you the answer. And how was the answer to be given? He says, do this, take censers for yourselves, Koran and all your company, and put fire in it and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. Now, Koran, <laughs> his group said, Moses, you have gone far enough. Who do you think you are? So Moses turns around now and says, OK, you know, we will see who is you know, really appointed by God. Remember, only the high priest was allowed to offer the incense. So he says, this is how God is going to decide. If God accepts your incense, you know, then it will be that God has appointed you. If God does not expect, accept your incense, what will happen to you? You will be punished by God. And that is what happened to Aaron's sons right in the beginning of the priesthood, isn't it? You know, you know, God punished them. They were killed because they did the wrong thing, wrong incense, wrong fire that was given. So similarly here, Moses is saying God is going to decide. Now, that's a simple response, isn't it? Trust God to the solution to the problem. Oftentimes, we may be so upset. We must be wondering, what can I do? What should I do? Come to God for him. Then he will give you the answer. And the answer is given very, very specifically. So Moses proposes that all who claim such a holy status should demonstrate it by undertaking this priestly task the offering of incense. He says, okay, let's see it. Okay. Then he also speaks to Korah and says in from verses 8 to 10, he says, guys, you should see first of all what you do have rather than seeing what you don't have and envying that. He says, then Moses said to Korah in verse 10, verse 8, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, and that he has brought you near Korah and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you? Moses is saying, don't you see what you do have? Don't you see the benefits that you do have? You are a special tribe. You are from the tribe of the Levites. This is an important truth. Oftentimes people feel that the grass is greener on the other side. And as the song says, Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Then you will it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Don't focus on what you don't have and you want to have. Focus on what God has already given you and live that life of thankfulness. And as Paul would mention, godliness with contentment is great gain. These guys were not content with what they had. They wanted something that they did not have. So Moses explains to them. That's the second thing that he did. And remember, the Levites were the ones who were given the task of carrying the most sacred objects such as the ark. That was a special responsibility. But they were not satisfied with that. They wanted to be the priest also. And the Lord says, you know, be careful. Latter part of verse 10, Moses says, And are you seeking for the priesthood also? Are you seeking for the priesthood also? Remember, we need to be satisfied. We need to be satisfied. Don't aspire for positions and power. That's the world's view. Don't run after that positions and power. Look at what god has given you the place he has placed you in and make sure that you are a good leader over there and then he also explains in verse 11 therefore you and your company are gathered together against the lord against the lord playing against me you are actually grumbling against god and this is something that has to be noticed you know when people are grumbling against people in leadership, if God has placed them there, it is a a grievous sin because as Moses is saying over here, you are actually grumbling against God, you are actually grumbling against God, okay? Then he deals with the complaint of Dathan and Abiram in verses 12 to 15, you know, and he calls them, he summons them. And you find this in you know, verse 12, he sent a summons to dethan and Abiram, the sons of Iliad. And what did they do? They said, we will not come up, okay. we will not come up. They were so defiant and they accused Moses of bringing them to die. He says, is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness? But you would also lord it over us. He says, hey, not only have you not given us what you promised, a land of milk and honey, but boss over here, you are bossing over us. After not giving what we should be getting, you are also becoming more bossy. And they are definitely upset. They are definitely upset. So they are basically saying. Look how we have traveled this big journey, two years have gone by and we have not even received what was expected. Now, what was better, living in Egypt with the harsh manual labor that they were doing or following after God and seeing the promises of God, that is not what their concern was to follow after God. They were only looking for those material benefits. This is why they say in verse 14, will you put out the eyes of these men? In other words, they are saying, you know, we have opened our eyes to see the truth that you are not a real leader. You have put the wool over their eyes, you know, are you going to keep them blind? You have tricked everyone else into blindly following you. We have seen clearly, are you continuing to deceive them? now?" And they again say, we will not come up we find the response to that. The response for you know, Korah was he came before God. Now when it comes to the response, you know, the harsh criticism of Dathan and Abiram, the scripture tells us in verse 15, then Moses became very angry, became very angry. And he said to the Lord, do not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm to any of them. He says, Lord, I want you to deal with it. If in the first case he prayed before God, yeah, he cries out before God and says, God, I want you to punish them. These guys have gone too far, too far. Not only are they rebelling against you, now they are also turning the tables against me and." They are also speaking all sorts of outrageous deformations. He is very, very upset. Okay? And as a result, it turns him into an anti-intercessor. In other words, instead of praying for mercy, he prays for punishment. And this is the only place you know, which says Moses was very angry. Then in verses 16 to 19, Moses says, okay, Tomorrow is going to be the test. Now, you have complained. Now let's have a confrontation. There's a confrontation of Korah and his followers. Verse 16 says, Moses said to Korah, You and your company be present before the Lord tomorrow, both you and they, along with Aaron. And each of you take his firepan and put incense on it. And each of you bring his censer before the Lord, 250 fire pans. Also you and Aaron shall bring... They are his fire pan. In other words, he says, Okay, all you guys get your incense and another pan. Aaron is also going to get, and then let's see whose sacrifice the Lord is really going to accept. And in verse 19, you have, if you can say it, call it the deal breaker. Along with these guys, you know, latter part of verse 19 says, And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregations. In other words, you know, this was going to be, you know, a test and God himself was present, going to be present or present here to pass the verdict. So that the responsibility is not going to be on Moses to decide who is right and wrong, but God himself will decide. And that is something that we can take, you know, assurance in. When we come before God and committed to God and says, God, it's your problem you deal with it, God himself steps in and in verses 20 to 30, we find the divine judgment that came to settle this problem once and for all. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in verse 20 saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them instantly. Okay. So the Lord says enough is enough. I want you to separate yourself and I'm going to take off this entire bunch. I'm going to punish them. They have been rebelling against me for a long, long time, for a long, long time. Moses' response, God says, I'm going to wipe out this congregation. What is Moses' response here? Verse 22, but they fell on their faces and said, O God, thou Lord of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, Will you be angry with the entire congregation?" So they plead before God, they intercede before God and say, God, why should you punish the entire congregation for the sin of these few people? And as a result, it was, you know, they are appealing to God for mercy, for forgiveness, for grace to be given for the entire congregation. That God hear their response? Verse 23 says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation saying, get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan and Abiram.' So the Lord says, okay, I'm not going to knock out the entire congregation. Congregation, you move aside, you know, it's only this family, this group that is going to be separate. Then verse 25, you know, Moses went and spoke to Dathan and Abiram, with the elders of the congregation following him. And he said, "Depart now from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing that belongs to them, lest you also be swept away in all their sins." So they got back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, Abiram. Okay. So in other words, these groups were separated. The rebellious group was separated from the non-rebellious you know, in that sense of the term. And God said, "Okay, the whole congregation will not be." wiped out. And then God says, okay, I will now declare, I will now pass the verdict. The fact that Korah was willing to take the incense, you know, and come that day, that itself, you uh, you know, if you were to say, negated him or disqualified him from his aspiration, because nobody was allowed to do that except the high priest. The fact that he even ventured or dared to do that, judgment was already passed upon him. And then in verse 28, so Moses says, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. If these three men that die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, then, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. So the Lord speaks through Moses and says, look here, this is how I'm going to decide who is right, who is wrong. Okay? You are saying, Moses is not my appointed leader. Now, I'm saying, okay, if, if Moses is my appointed leader, this is what I've told him I'm going to do. What is that? Through a new creative process you know, of the earth opening up and the earth swallowing all these rebellious people, that will show that who is the genuine leader. God uses, if you were to say, his creative ability, not for creation here, but for destruction and punishment. And then, the Lord has the last word. The Lord has the last word. Verse 31 says, Then it came about, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened, and its mouth, and it swallowed them and their households, and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. Remember, God always has the last word. God always has the last word. Now you may think you are the boss. No, God has the last word. Okay. Now you may wonder, oh, hey, okay, Korah was and you know, uh swallowed up, Dathan and Abiram was swallowed up. What happened to the other 250? Why didn't God's punishment come upon them? Verse 34 tells us, and all Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, saying, The earth may also swallow us up. And then verse 35 tells us, fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the two hundred and fifty men who were offering the incense. (laughs) Imagine, in the midst of all these, these guys were still thinking that they are going to get a position and they were still offering incense when it was not supposed to be. And the scripture tells us that fire came down from heaven. Okay. That is again a miraculous thing that God did to show who really is the boss. If the swallowing alive of Dathan and Abiram and their families were visible, disproof of their claim that the Lord was either dead or irrelevant, then the fire from the tabernacle that consumed the 250 priestly pretenders was also proof of uh, uh, Korah's claim of priestly equality was definitely not accepted. It's important lessons that we can learn from this chapter this evening, some practical lessons. Number one, as the world rebels against God, we need to pray. A lot of rebellion happening is to say, I will show. Easy thing is to say, let us equal the score. But the biblical thing is we must learn to pray. Our instant reaction should be to live, to look to God, should be to look to God, Moses prayed instead of reacting, he prayed. and when we pray, we are acknowledging that we are not in charge, we are not in control of the situation and the circumstances. God we are trusting you. And when we do that, we get the second principle. When we pray, God leads. When we pray, God leads. Now Moses puts it across. He does not say, Look here, God, you show that I am in charge, show it to them. No, his concern is God will decide. If God wants me to step down, if God says you are not the leader, why am I willing to accept that? So when Moses is praying before God, he's saying, God, you be the leader. I'm not looking for this position. I'm not, you know, my ego is not going to be hurt. I don't want you to take my side. I want you to do what you want to do. And that is what true submission to God is all about, isn't it? Why do we get so angry and agitated when people go contrary to us? Because our egos are hurt. We are upset. We think our positions will be at stake. Our reputation will be at stake. But no, if you are trusting God, then we are leaving the result to God. Third important lesson is as the judgment of God approaches, pray. God approaches, pray. When you see someone who has wronged you going through hardships, don't rejoice. Don't rejoice. Pray for that person. Pray for that person. Don't say, God, I'm so happy, you know, that you put judgment on my behalf. No, no. You pray for that individual. Show love to that person. And fourthly, do you have a heart to plead for the salvation of sinners? ...that God was going to destroy the whole congregation. Moses and Aaron fell face down before God and prayed. Do you care more for the souls of those who oppose you or more about proving you are right in their eyes? Do you care more about others' spiritual condition or for your own reputation? What are you really concerned about? How is your prayer life? fifthly, do you really care enough to pray? Do you really pray for others? Or do you only pray for yourself? Lord, please bless me. Lord, so-and-so is doing this to me. So as a result, please validate my stand. You know, you, know, you prove to them. No, no, that's not the prayer we should be praying. We should be praying that God would be in control. And whatever happens, we are going to trust God. And when God does, you know, If you were to say even the score in terms of punishing them for what they have done to you, don't rejoice. Pray for them. Pray specifically that they would come to know Jesus in a personal way, especially individuals with whom you have been sharing the gospel and they have not responded and instead of not responding, they have become enemies to you. Pray for them. Pray for them. If they have done some wrong to you because you are a believer, don't get upset. Pray for them. And as you do this, you will find that God will honor your life. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Our gracious Father, we thank you, Lord, for Moses' life, all the lessons that we have been learning from his life. Not easy, Lord, with us and say all sorts of things against us or do wrong to us. To want to even this call, even this evening, like Moses, to come before you, that you are the one who is in charge, you are the sovereign one, and that you will handle it for us as we trust in you. We pray for individuals who don't know you and who are upset with us because of our faith. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to show love for them, offer them forgiveness. So that they will understand your love in a better way, in a personal way and come to know you. We give ourselves into your hands. Help us Lord to apply these practical lessons that you have shown us through Moses' life this evening in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.